All right. So in real life, what kind of alignment do you guys think you are? I have opinions on this. All right. Yeah, go nuts. All right. Well, you go for it. You start. Um, <laughs> I get comfortable. Megan's going to take Here a minute. Here we go. <laughs> no, I, I, I honestly believe that 90% of our culture is what D&D would call lawful good. Oh, that's very... If, if, if not skewed towards lawful neutral... But we don't have very many straight-up chaotic people as they would be defined in d and I don't know. I went to high school with some choice folks. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> uh, look, you know, I'm going to side with Megan on this one because I think that your alignment shifts over the span of your life. Oh, yeah. oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So where are you right now in life? Where am I right now? I'm, I'm lawful good. Like, I, I would fit within that 90%. Okay. Um, I, like, it, it's things like we care about how fast we're going on the road, most of us. Um, we care about you know stopping at a red light when the red light pops up like we are following the rules of the road we're following the law Mm -hmm. Um, we're not going out there murdering everybody who annoys us so we're definitely not evil for the most part however there are certain people that might skew that line and be very self-centered with things and like i would say the most common alignment is definitely lawful evil after that is, I don't know, or sorry, lawful good. After that is, I don't know, maybe neutral evil would be it would be one where people don't care but are just self-centered. Hmm. Neutral evil isn't self-centered. I, I, it. We will argue with this in the rest of the episode. We, yeah, we're going to argue about this yeah. for the rest of the episode for sure. Oh, Lord. No, that, that's a good question. What, what do you consider yourself? I'm neutral good. I don't give a fuck about your laws. I don't. I follow them because I don't like consequences. And it keeps me from from having to do time or, or pay fines or any of that nonsense. The fact that I can park here and not park there is nonsense. I understand that laws and rules are necessary sometimes. The fact that I am not dead because there are little white lines painted on the road to keep you in your speeding vehicular weapon over there and me in my speeding vehicular weapon over here. And and I'm still alive. That Okay, so rules work. That's good. But I have straight up... I I will just not go to work and I will call in sick if someone needs me. Mm. I, it doesn't matter. And I've done that. I've I've lost jobs because I was someone was and was in a, a hospital and needed consistent care and uh and needed someone by their bedside. Mm-hmm. And so I'm just like, you know what? I'm I'm going on uh, short-term disability. Like for what? Uh I need personal time, me time. Cuz that's how I needed to swing it. And then when they were like, okay, well, you need to go talk to a psychiatrist. I'm like, all right, fine. You know what? I need to go do this so I can feel, I can look at myself in the mirror and make sure that this person over here is okay. So you can either put me on sabbatical or you can take me off the roster and I'll come back later. Or you can just fire me. I don't care. Goodbye. I'm out. I'm not coming in tomorrow. Yeah. And I will not be in for the foreseeable future. I like my job. I like you. And if the circumstances were different, I'd be here. But I am needed over there, and so I will be over there. Yeah. So fuck your laws, fuck your rules, <laughs> and I will I will go do this instead. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. What amateur hour? Look at you. That was that your phone it ringing was my that, phone? That chicken noise. I thought that just came out of his throat, but. Normally, the chicken shit stuff does come out of Dan, but. Yeah. No, you're not gonna bite it. Okay, fine. Oh, look at him being lawful good over there, oh, you I love jackass. It. No, what about you? Uh, weirdly enough, I am the exact opposite side of the spectrum from you yeah. uh, in real life. Uh, I do play closer to like lawful good slash neutral good. I'm that person that can't cross the street unless the sign tells me that I can. Like, 
and I get nervous when I watch other people do it. Yep, like, yep, I just too. can't I can't handle it. Yeah, I, you, I, you telling me the whole like I will just straight up not go into work if someone like is at a hospital and they need care, I'm like, they're at a hospital, they have care. I'm going to work. Right? Like I Oh I, look, I, if I, someone's getting stitches, yeah, sure, that's one thing. If someone is in there because they're having a crisis of some sort. Yeah. If someone is crying and they won't come out of their bathroom. Yeah. And the only person they're going to talk to is me. I'm not going to be the person that says, I'm sorry, I have to go to work. Yeah. I don't even think about it. Fuck work. Yeah. I don't give a shit about, about not only, not only the hiring or firing process. I don't care about monetary concerns or the fact that I need to pay rent at this point. Yeah. You directly in front of me need my yeah. help. So. Uh, and I, I think that, that is also a bit of our different perspective. Like I need to work to, provide for my entire crew uh my entire family uh because i've got children and a wife who don't work i was really excited that you might have a pirate crew um you (laughs) i mean you you financially support several people as well but like they're not dependent on it so much no they're more independent yeah right so so i mean there there is that i mean i work because i have to pay bills if if i could not work that would be fantastic yeah, right. yeah, but I've also had so many jobs that a job is a job is a job. Yeah, and this one is no different than a thousand other jobs that I've worked. Right, so that's where I come from. Yep. But but yeah. you're all about law as opposed to <sighs> yeah. I don't know. I don't. I'm that weird person too. Like even if I call in sick or even if I have to do something, like I have to go through the proper channels. I can't just sit and do nothing mm-hmm. in response to things. Or if I have to be somewhere, I I will be there. Like I'm not a. I try not to flake at the last minute, kind of thing. Like I I have to. Fight Stay the urge. true and fight the urge yeah. to oh, okay. adjust. Or, okay, so you're saying, if I if I hear you correctly, I'm the exact opposite of you. I don't flake at the last minute. Is that, is that? <laughs> yes, exactly what I'm saying. Yes, absolutely. Um, no, it's just like I just have that moral fight with myself if I have to be in that situation. Like if something like if I was in the same situation you're speaking to, where someone I cared about needed me, but I had an obligation to be at work, I would have about a half an hour moral compass of trying to figure out which one is the one to do. Don't get me wrong. I would go in the direction of helping my friend first, but I would definitely go through the proper channels, like to make sure that my, my moral compass stays intact in both areas as best as possible. If that makes sense. Yeah. I get, I'm just, I'm just unapologetic about it. Oh yeah. And there's fun. So like that's, Hey, rules are uh, agreed upon social construct that don't exist in the natural world. So, however, I believe that morality Keeps us different from the animals. It's, it's not our laws. It's our moral compass. Yep. Therefore. I agree. But hey, alignment, moral compasses, and, you know, honor, sanity, that kind of stuff is what we're talking about today. So. Yay, opening credits. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to It's a Mimic with your DMs, Adam, Dan, and Megan. All right, welcome to another episode of the It's a Mimic podcast, the roundtable Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. I'm DM Megan. I'm going to say that today because I feel like I can. And with me are (laughs) Um, Adam and Dan. And today we're actually talking about alignment and honor and sanity and different mechanics that we can use uh, to flesh out our characters and our games. Yeah, these are the these are the optional mechanics. Uh, some of the optional mechanics that they that they put forth in the DMG and and, and whatnot. It, except for alignment, that one's kind of weird. It, well, 
All right. Are we going to get into alignment first, I guess? Well, yeah, I think we should. Alignment, I think, is the bigger, broader topic. Because I feel like the honor and sanity just kind of ties them together. Mm. Or ways to use your alignment, shall we say. Yeah. Look, there are two different kinds of alignment in D&D. And unfortunately, they follow the exact same structure. There's the alignment that players play by. And there's the alignment of the realms. And they're two very different things. Whereas the planes are all locked into what alignment that they represent. Creatures used to be the same way. And they're not quite as locked in as they used to be. I feel like there's a lot more gray area with with creatures perspectives in 5th edition. Than there has been in previous editions. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, you look at the things like... Uh, minotaurs and goblins and hobgoblins and whatnot are now playable classes rather than just or playable races rather than just monsters that you fight, right? There, there. You could play a lawful good goblin, and that doesn't make people raise an eyebrow. That's just accepted right. in today's game. Yeah, one of the things that they used to do is actually punish you for being on the wrong plane with the wrong alignment. If you were lawful good and you were in a neutral evil environment on the wrong plane, you would not be able to cast spells over a certain level. You would uh, not have your perception be as as good. You would have disadvantage. Uh, I'm going to use fifth ed terms, but you would have disadvantage on saves. They didn't have saves back then. It was it was different. But, but you got real mechanical um, disadvantages for being in the wrong place. Being the wrong person in the wrong place. Well, even even in the character creation process, if you chose a, a, an alignment that uh, wasn't in line with uh, certain classes, you can play those classes. You could not play a paladin unless you were lawful good. Hard stop. You could not play a monk unless you were lawful. Hard stop. So you can play a chaotic monk. Now you can play a chaotic monk. No one gives a crap. Play a drunken master, sure. Right? But I, I don't know. Like It, it seems like... It was a far stricter thing in the 70s and 80s and has slowly been Even getting... 3.5, it was really strict. Yeah. They, in 3.5, they had the paladin. If you didn't want to be lawful good, you could be the anti-paladin, which was lawful evil. So you had to yeah. be on one side of the spectrum or the other. So. Yeah. yeah. But to break it down to more simple terms for those listening who have no idea what alignment is... Um, essentially what we're talking about right now is that alignment is basically what broadly kind of describes your moral moral compass of your character or the moral compass of your NPCs that you're building for your campaigns. And it kind of is defined by two things, usually the morality of the character as well as how they feel towards society. So those are kind of the two main factors that play into that. Um, and it either leans into the good, the neutral, or the evil. And then there are the three categories in each of those pieces, Mm -hmm. right? And I'm not going to lie to you, it took me a long time to understand that aspect. It, I actually looked at it when I was first playing out in D&D. I looked at it as it was a spectrum. You were lawful good all the way down to chaotic evil. And then each one just got oh. progressively worse. I didn't understand at the time that there was a difference between you were good, you were neutral, and you were evil. And then you were a spectrum of one of those three. Yeah, you, you were lawful, you were neutral, or you are chaotic. Or chaotic, right? Yeah. took me a long time to understand that concept. And I don't know why. It just did. Uh, no, I, I get it. Cause like, I, I was always a fan of rolling a lawful good character who was a straight up murder hobo mm-hmm. and would like kick indoors and stuff. And like playing, uh, uh, my character's alignment on the table was different from the alignment on the sheet. Most people played like that. Right. Because the alignment on the sheet was so limiting. It handcuffed you as a player for many editions of this. And it was a, it was a, uh, for better or worse, a way for other players to police 
the actions of other players around the table. Like, I, I can't count the amount of times I've been sitting at a table and someone rolls their eyes and goes, well, that wasn't very lawful good of you. It's but, like, yeah, and, and it also, see, I see it for worse because I sat around the table with people that would go, everyone at the table rolled up chaotic neutral characters so they could just steal from each other. Yeah. It's what my character would do. Oh, I hate I, that. That is the worst defense for anything. <laughs> but in theory, that's a really good way of running your campaign. You're role playing, you're acting, it is what your character would do. Yep. But when you're using it to justify your shitty actions after the fact, then you may just be a shitty person. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so yeah, it's not a good defense mechanism. Even though I say that term all the time. <laughs> it's what she would do. So I'm just doing it. Yeah, but there's a difference between doing what she would do, um, and and it making sense. Like we've built a we've built a relationship amongst our characters mm-hmm. where we kinda understand that. These are people like straight off straight off the bat would come out and you know, I'm the first treasure chest you could see the rogues over there stealing everything from the party, takes a thousand gold out of it and gives everybody their cut of twenty. Yeah. Right? Like Everyone around the table heard that you got a thousand gold, Steven. What the hell are you doing? Right. Yes, Steven, you fuck. <laughs> Could I, I would like to pose a question that maybe we can roll on. Sure. So since we are talking about alignments, and I, this is going to be a heated conversation because I thought about it on, on, at verbatim and a lot. It's not going to be a heated conversation? It's going to be ha- great. Have you, have you ever sat in a room with Adam or me? It's true. Um, <laughs> thinking of the any alignment that we have and all the options here, where would you place superheroes and why? Well, that really depends on your superhero. Yeah, which superhero we're talking? Really specific. I'm just, any, can be any superhero. So if you guys want to pick a superhero, the, we'll the, go from the, there. The most controversial one on the internet is Batman. And that's uh, what I'm saying. Uh, how is that controversial? It's very controversial. Oh yeah, let's roll. Okay, for let's right, go for it. here we go. <laughs> I got a five. Ooh, Adam got a natural Adam twenty. Adam really wants to talk about this, so he got a twenty. So <laughs> what alignment is Batman, Adam? He's neutral good. <laughs> And the reason that he is he is neutral good is the fact that he doesn't care about the laws that are put in place, but he does care about his own personal moral code. It is about being good. He doesn't want people to feel as uh, as helpless as he felt. So he does have an idea about what the general population should feel, mm-hmm. how they should be treated, how society should be run, and some laws are there that and they will help him. And he will he will determine who is a criminal based on whether or not they're breaking the laws. Oh, that guy assaulted that person over there. He is a criminal. Although I will assault him for retribution, and I'm a vigilante, and I, I will give out I will dole out my own version of justice. He's very hard and fast on his rules about justice, but he's a great big freaking hypocrite about things. Right? We don't want to put children in danger the way that I was in danger, but I got Robin. Mm-hmm. And I will surround myself with children that I've trained up. Yeah. Right? Batman is absolutely, he's not chaotic, but, and he's not evil, but some people would definitely say that he is. He, I think he's lawful neutral. He, is, no, well, do you? Mind. Okay, why? What's, oh, where did uh, you Oh, I'm, I'm last in this list, so. I'll just choose a random one as well, just based on what you're saying. Yeah. Um, chaotic evil. Chaotic, good. Okay. Because I'm just thinking he acts from his own conscience, right? It is his moral code that guides him to be doing what he's supposed to be doing with little regard for the law, right? Like, he's, he's Robin Hood. Yeah. Like you, could, you could say that he's Robin Hood. Basically. Except that we have seen so much in the comics and, and in the cartoons and stuff as well. We've seen enough of what happens if Batman gets his way and the like city-state lockdown that Gotham becomes when he's got 
drones and cameras and mm-hmm. robotic sentinels in the, the alleys. Right? It's it, it, stuff like that would make that would make me say he's lawful neutral. Like he's got his own personal code. I don't know, like a monk who doesn't necessarily need to be good or evil, but they follow that code to a T. They don't get that, and, and lawful doesn't necessarily mean the laws of the land. So he could break into a person's house to catch a criminal. Mm-hmm. And have no problem with that as long as he's catching that criminal because it follows his code. Um, I would say that Batman is definitely not good because he is not. Um, I mean, he he's got his no killing rule, which would lead you to believe that he he's good. But he is destroying people's lives with, um, you know, lifetime lasting injuries. The greater like, good. Uh, yeah. He's doing it because he for the greater good. I no, put the not for the good, good in quotations like nine times in my notes for this. <laughs> yeah, the greater uh, good. The greater good. <laughs> oh, I love that movie so much. No, I, I I would say he he follows his rules. He is not will. Uh, he is unfazed by, um, like the he will do what he needs to do short of killing somebody. His line is killing somebody. He will do anything above that line. Anything above that line. He will maim you. He will incapacitate you for life. He will paralyze you. But he won't kill you. Only if you push him that far. He, that doesn't matter. Still, that still fits him within the lawful neutral. The number of times if he's if grabbed he, street punks and been like, hey, you know what? You're, you're 14 years old. You need to stop doing this. This is your warning. He's not out there just breaking their neck right off the bat. And even, even organized crime, he pops in appears behind them in the study and warns them first, Mm. right? And then it is your choice. Here's the line, and I'm saying do not cross it. If you choose to cross it, here are the consequences. Mm. Yeah, and I I would put that at lawful neutral. His line is established by his code. He lives by his code. But he only does that to criminals. He doesn't make... He doesn't make... I don't... No, I would disagree because he he, uh, applies that code to... uh, the Robins and, and the Dick Graysons of the world, which is the big issue that Dick Grayson had with him, which is why Dick Grayson left, right? Is his uncompromising BS. Um, Batman's uncompromising BS. The fact that you said, oh, he would gladly put up drones and, and, and stuff like that and have a full martial law city lockdown. To that's keep, that's to lawful keep neutral. people safe. Yeah, to keep people safe by making them have no choice or no opportunity for freedom. He's lawful neutral, not lawful good. He's not neutral good, and he's not chaotic. So hold on. So so your argument, okay. All right, let, let me get this straight. Your argument is that even though it's all for the greater good, and he was, and he only fights criminals, and he protects those that are weaker than him, and he has really strict morals about the concept of what is good and how to uphold it, he's neutral? If you put it in that way... It sounds like he should be put towards good, but his methods are not good. So you believe that, that the ends do not justify the means? Yes. And so far as Batman's, this whole Batman discussion, yes. <laughs> this has been my favorite five minutes of my life. <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, I completely like railroaded the process of today's <laughs> podcast, but I'm very glad that I asked that question. <laughs> Now, I will concede, you, Adam, are far better, are far... You can just stop it far better. I'm okay. No, no, no. You are, you, are, you are a Batman aficionado. You, you collected his comics for years. You've read far more of his comic book run than I ever have. I'm running off of 
more the popular media perception of Batman. I, I was never a big fan of Batman, and part of it is because the uncompromising edgelord that he is. Um, I, I can never get into it. Um, so I'll, I'll concede on to you on this one um, because that reason. I mean, I, I, I can't buy him as neutral good. I just can't. He, he, he doesn't care about if he's breaking a law or not. When you look at a D and D player, when you look at a D and D player, but he follows his law, like his code, to the letter, and but, will not deviate from. But it. so does everybody. Everybody follows their own moral compass. That's that's no, no, not. There's a difference between following a code and following a moral compass. He yeah. follows a code. It's not. It's not a. Um, it's not his conscience that set that up. It, it, it is. It is one hundred percent. The, like, sorry, it's it. It is not based off of the whims of his conscience in the moment. It is his conscience that set it up and set the guidelines, and he follows those guidelines to a T. If, like you said earlier in in the cold open, um, our alignments kind of shift in our life. Batman's code never does. His but, alignment might, because someone pushes him too far to do something evil. Right. No. 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 Listen. His code doesn't shift because he had to put up boundaries because the whole point of him being the Dark Knight is he is the one that has to live in the gray area. Did you even see the second movie? He has to be the perceived bad guy so that other people can live safe from fear and tyranny. He puts himself in that gray area where I will have to fight that guy over there, that crazy supervillain, so that a, a, a police sniper doesn't have to take him down and live with that on his conscience. I have the skills to be able to take him down without murder, and other people don't, so I will be the one to do this, and that is his responsibility. So he sets a hard and fast line that he will not cross, but so that he can live in the gray area, and he has someone, he has a true north to point to. True, but, it's, but, but he still goes based he, on his conscience. He has even said multiple times that that code is also keeping him just above that line. Like he, That code is also not just his anchor, but also his lifeline. It is both. His code keeps him from, you know... Because uh, he has to live in the gray area. Yeah, he has to live in the gray area, which is neutral. Which is why he's lawful neutral. neutral He follows his code, and he's uh, neutral because of immorality. Neutral good. He will break a face. He will will ruin a criminal's life if they cross his code. No, if they cross the code of good or evil. If they stray into evil, then then he says, I will use any means except one at my fingertips. So it doesn't matter if I'm using the law. It doesn't matter if I use fear like chaos in order to be able to correct the wrongs and punish you for being evil. And so he says that he is neutral good because he says you cannot cross the line between neutral and evil. And the only line there is do not kill. I'm going to rein this in. <laughs> yeah, no, you... This is a can of worms and you've opened. Uh, that was very joyful. I enjoyed it a lot. But let's like start talking about it in terms of D&D at this point. So thinking about how it kind of affects your gameplay on a regular basis, uh, we can probably roll on this one as well. Um, maybe some do's and don'ts you guys might have around um, either DMing, um, utilizing alignments, or just playing as a character. Okay, cool. What did I get? You got a five. Okay. Ah. Good. I get to sit here and... Look at Dan, tell him why he's wrong in my brain. 
As long as it's in your brain and not out of your mouth. I think they're just staring at each other. I did get a 17. Yeah, you got to go first. go first. So when I think about how alignment affects gameplay as a player, um, something that I like to focus in on, especially if I'm trying to play something that is one side of the spectrum or the other, I kind of develop my own little code for my character. So like, let's say I am playing a lawful good paladin and I'm being put into situations where obviously you're going to have to hurt and kill things. Similar to your ideas on Batman, you just have to draw yourself like a hard line, Yeah. right? So usually if I'm playing a character that's one side of that spectrum, I will try and say um, that I have to have three things have to check off before I hurt or kill someone. So like I have to attempt to talk to them first or I have to see um, if they are going to hurt me or I will not attack unless attacked first or just I'll set, set myself a bunch of rules to stop myself from becoming a murder hobo, right? Yeah. No, I, I really liked how that played out because uh, I don't know if we've mentioned in the podcast, but we had a situation where your lawful good paladin was told to rip the uh, black dragon wings off of uh, one of our other party members who played a, a black dragonborn um, yeah. wizard. And you were just like, yeah, no, I'm not going to do that. And no. you were told straight up by a demon prince to do it. And you stared, you stared him right in the... Four eyes. Four, Four eyes. Uh, Demogorgon in both <laughs> sets of eyes. And we're just like, yeah, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. That's not going to happen. And I was like, yay. Yeah, that, was, like, that was yeah. awesome. You playing the alignment moment. Yeah. And yeah. I think it's very rare that you actually play in alignment too. Like I find that just because of the way Fifth Ed is developed, that it's very hard to play in alignment just like strong and hard and true because it is you it is sometimes you're on a spectrum of going from one to the other making all these moral ambiguous choices over yeah. and over again you could be in a party with a murder hobo and you're trying to play like a good character well that was the first thing that i ran into in fifth edition now i played D for a very long time and i was really excited about the idea of not having to be a lawful paladin a lawful good paladin yeah. Yeah. right and the by the way but uh in the player's handbook where it says under alignment under lawful good it actually lists, it says, typical behavior of a creature of this alignment. Individuals may vary significantly, um, but it says uh, gold dragons, paladins, and more, most uh, dwarves. Paladins are still listed under lawful good. It's just not mechanically enforced yeah. anymore. Right? So that, what do you do with that? As a paladin, what do you do with it? But so I got really excited about maybe skirting it a little bit. I ended up going with a life cleric. I was very excited. Session one, we sit down and... Doesn't the rest of the party just go rob a shopkeeper? And and they walked in going, well, we only have a little bit of gold. Shall we just... All right, I'll go distract them. You guys steal it. And I went, oh, okay, I know what this is. I've seen this shit before. Oh. This is d and I'm going to stand outside and not get involved. Yeah. Because it I, if I'm a lawful good character, I have to stop them. Mm-hmm. Right, but is it lawful good to not get involved? Um, so as as I've had a couple of opinions on this uh, over the years because it drives me up the wall when players go in and like you're either you're all a lightly seasoned mixture of good, like everyone's either lawful good or chaotic good or neutral good. There might be one lawful neutral or chaotic neutral person in that mix, mm-hmm. but those are the five most common. In, in your average D&D game. Suppose you have a druid who does, I'm true neutral. Um, Lockie, Lockie is true neutral um, in the game. That's because his morality is beginning and end with a bottle. Yes, uh, he has skirted neutral evil several times in this campaign. And I'd say at this point he is neutral evil. But um, 
playing lawful good with a party of people who, even though they're lightly seasoned varieties of good, um, still decide to go in and rob a shopkeeper, maybe even beat them up into submission. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, in our group, it's, it's great. Cause we kind of engineered this safe place for us to be able to like stand up to the other players at the table and be, and in character say, Hey, this is a bad idea. You as Cora have done that dozens of times <laughs> to me as Lockie. <laughs> You know, I've pretty much been many moments at the table where I'm like, stop what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. Stop, stop. Think it through. <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh, it's murdering this guy bad? Thing? Okay, sorry. Let's think about the consequences right? <laughs> of your actions today, please. <laughs> but but I, I, a lot of parties or groups around the tables might not have that safe place because, I don't know, they're more a tactical game. And if you're playing a tactical-based game and everything's just got to be combat and fighting, and that guy's got the one thing that might make your wizard's save, or saves a little bit harder to overcome... So your party's going to go in there and murder him, and you're the one guy who actually gives a shit about their alignment and speaks into it. You're not causing a safe place. So you need to figure out what your table atmosphere is Mm -hmm. um, and talk to your friends. I mean, we've said this before many times. Talk to your friends around the table and be like, guys, remember, we're good. Session zero is great for this. Yeah. Right? To bring up the concept of do we... Because maybe you just want to be murder hobos. Maybe it, you guys all work stressful jobs and you just want to go freaking murder some kobolds, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um, you uh, Maybe you're a bunch of lawyers and all you do is deal with law and order and technicality all day. So all you want to do is sit back and be chaotic neutral um, and just kind of live free and yeah. blow off some steam. Go nuts. Go crazy. Maybe you're a bunch of lawyers and you just want to play a good person for a change. You could do that as well. But whatever it is, know your table. Talk about it in session zero. Exactly. Sorry, you were going, you wanted to talk about tips for people, and Dan and I got super distracted. That's fine, man. My, my turn is technically over, so Dan, you're next. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I was going to speak on the whole, uh, when you're around a table, this is after session zero, and you're, you're having a conflict of alignment at the table. Um a conflict of alignment is not a strong enough reason to get in a fight around a table player to player. Mm. It's happened many times in, in groups that I've been in in the past where it's like, well, uh, your character would not do that because your character is this alignment. Motherfucker, I'm playing my character. I, I will decide what my character does. Yeah. Um, if there are alignment repercussions or if there are other repercussions of those actions... Let's just assume I've taken those into consideration and I've, I've determined that the, you know, the uh, ends justify the means yeah. in huh. this situation. Huh. Well, do you feel like that might be like a DM choice, though, at the end of the day? That if your character did make a choice that might not necessarily align with what they're doing, could you take that empowerment as a DM to I, give I, them that consequence? I would definitely recommend it, but I would also uh, uh, caution DMs and players alike not to go too far with the repercussions. Like a punishment. At, like as a punishment, right? Yeah. Like a lot of people, um, they like the redemption story, but they don't like the the um, the thing that leads up to it. Yeah, well, that's, that's the note that I got repeatedly during this campaign from a lot of people. Um, because I'm running the very dark and very brutal, and every choice you make is a bad choice. It's, there's no right answer here. Just yeah. make the least wrong answer you can. Yeah. And what I keep hearing over and over and over again is, 
this is a grind. I want to be a good guy. I want to be a hero. I'm tired of, of, of being in the dirt and the muck and the, the fog and the dreariness. And we are so bloodstained at this point that what do we, where do we go from here? Yeah. Right. And so the last couple of sessions, you guys have actually had a few wins and you've done the heroic good thing. Mm-hmm. And Dan just seems happier. Yeah. Around the table. You just are smiling more than you were before. I've also changed my real life job recently, <laughs> which, which helps that significantly. <laughs> but I mean, you as a DM, Dan, oh, sorry, not, ooh, not Dan, Adam. He was a DM Yikes. in our game. Um, did a really cool thing where we actually had a whole episode based on the fact that my character went to jail. Yeah. And got interrogated because of all of the actions we had done over a year and a half worth of campaign. So so tell me about the dudes you murdered. Right. Oh, oh no. Oh. <laughs> and like me as the the rogue is sitting there sweating bullets going, what is she saying yeah. to the cops? And oh, again, again shit. I had to play, I'm a lawful good, technically playing a lawful good paladin who would tell the truth, technically. Yep. And... So, and the cops were friends. Yeah. Yeah, right? So it's not like you could just murder them and run away. No. And like she, like my character also would not do that. Yeah. But at the same time, I basically just role played it in the sense of, well, I'm not going to lie, but I'm also not going to impose too much of the truth, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. So would you consider that lawful good or would you consider that something different? Because I thought about that after that game being like, yes, I omitted the truth not to. Your big thing. Uh, here's, uh, let me answer that for you. You guys were so late in the game, the fate of existence hangs in the balance, and you are getting bogged down with an interrogation. Yeah. I see it more as you prioritizing the greater good over the current law. True. Um, I am a big fan of thinking that there are there are lesser grids within each spot on that, you know, nine alignment grid. Mm-hmm. Right? Um, there's lawful good and then they're super lawful good which is you know a little bit further up into that corner yeah right um we have played and and this is this is something i was going to hit on as well with adam you're completely correct with the fact that alignments change around the table and you could stay lawful good and make different decisions within that lawful good but you are going to kind of float around. Uh, you said earlier, Megan, that you kind of viewed it as a gradient. I think that's still a fantastic way of looking at it. Yeah. That you kind of sit randomly on a point within that gradient. You're not just in one of those nine squares done. Yeah. Right? It, you kind of float around. So in this specific instance where your lawful good paladin is lying to the cops about people that they've murdered mm. or at least been party to murder... Um, you are sitting in that greater good, like you said, Adam, spot, but we have developed this character in such a way that you lying to the cops wasn't out of character. Mm. You're still lawful good, but it wasn't out of character. True enough. Right? And and um, I find a lot of veteran players who come from previous editions hold hard and fast to what their uh, alignment is and... and um, let that guide their actions. Fifth edition is far less stringent. There, there is a definition for each one of these, but it's summarized in a single sentence. Yeah. Mm. And then it gives you a couple of examples. And then it never really touches on alignment again until it talks about the planes. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Uh, are you done, Dan? Yeah. I, yeah. All right. We, 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 talk, we talk about players and alignment all the time. I want to talk to DMs for half a second here because as a forever DM... It, alignment is something I think about all the time. 
the best thing that I found is that your players will, your players, not the characters, the players will have a short attention span and do something they probably shouldn't. They will just see that shiny thing over there and they will see that it says property of and tear off that tag and slip it in their bag of holding. Mm. That's just going to happen. At some point, there's going to be the neutral society. They're not good. They're not evil. They're neutral, but they're opposed to your players and the players will kill them to get what they want. There will be a group of people, of bandits. See, I love the morally gray area because the bandits are starving on the side of the road, right? They're they're attacking you because they're hungry. Did anyone stop and ask, or did you all just put crossbow bolts through their eye sockets? Talk to your kobolds. Talk to your kobolds, <laughs> right? And your highwaymen. Yes. And so I, the, when you say don't punish them, I say don't punish them mechanically. Provide opportunities. Yeah. Anytime that somebody decides to go counter to their alignment as a DM, think about that. Because one of the very first things that happened for me was, Dan, you were talking about, oh, my private investigator guy, and he's trying to do the right thing. His daughter wants him to be good, and so on and so forth. And then I dropped a narcotic in front of you, and you went on a trip. You jumped at that ability to do that. And I went, this character, or this player, is going to jump at... The opportunity for pledges of the flesh, whatever they end up being. So I'm going to keep doing that more and more and more. And in the future, I dropped a, this goblin prostitute on your character, knowing that this was coming like a long time pre, like previously. Mm-hmm. I set this up because I wanted you to start to struggle with the idea of of addiction to the point where I even put you in the Feywild and said, "You don't need your addictions anymore." And you went, "Well, then what the hell? How do I play this character?" And you have been consistently going back to them. You don't need to smoke. But now here you are smoking tobacco again. You don't need to drink, but here you are carrying a flask again. Yeah. And so the chemical addiction, the need, the disease part of it was gone. It was just habits from there. Yeah. And you just leaned right back into it again. And so here's this goblin prostitute that supposed that was there was a whole little subplot there. Um, and then at the last moment you you pulled back. I wouldn't have done that if you hadn't gone that down that direction. I'm always looking for the consequence from a story perspective. Hmm. And this goblin prostitute was not a, I mean, it sounds like a punchline, but it wasn't. This was very much a living, breathing character with with uh, wants and needs and plot hooks that they were going to give. And uh, they had information about things that you guys wanted at the time and that they kind of accidentally had some ideas about. Um, just to blow that wide open, the Goblin prostitute had a, had a psychic that they would go see to learn their future all the time, which was actually a high-powered diviner, and she could have set up a meeting and all this. Oh, yeah. So Which we did anyways. Yeah, you guys wanted to go talk to the diviner, and there we go. That was a plot hook in, yeah. right? So um, it didn't change the outcome. It changed the journey there. Yeah. And there have been things like that. I mean, I broke your, your sword, Megan. Mm-hmm. Uh, and your father's voice disappeared. Your moral compass disappeared. Yeah. And I said, "What is this gonna? What is this gonna be? Yeah. What does this mean to your character now?" And I've been dropping evil and 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 little opportunities to be the bad guys all the way along. Yeah. And you guys have taken it most of the time. Mm-hmm. Not all the time. Sometimes you draw a hard line in the sand, and I go, "You know what? Good for you." That that's fun. Okay, I know I know we're not going to push that boundary. You guys straight up won't even be mean to kids. Yeah. 
No. Period. No. At all. If it's somebody underage, you won't. You will do everything in your power to save them. Underage, however, means 13. The moment they turn 14, you don't give a shit anymore. Yeah, we done. Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah, the, the 12-year-old Kenku child was a little mascot for the group. However, the 14-year-old up-and-coming heroes that wanted to be the next Young Avengers, and they just they just want to be the heroes. You guys left them frozen in stone, aware of the surroundings. Or no, sorry, you left them dead. Yeah, they were dead. Yeah. You left them dead. You had the opportunity to resurrect them and went... They're not useful. The one that was frozen in stone, we brought back. Yeah, you brought yeah. back um, be- after after extended debate right in front of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah, where he could see and hear you, um, and the only reason you brought him back was because you needed his uncle to not be mad at you. Yeah. So you didn't give a shit about the fourteen-year-old kid. So there was a line. There was a direct line. In ten years, when Dan's kids are teenagers, we'll see how this plays we'll out see again. How it adjusts, yeah. Right? yeah. yeah. <laughs> but well, I, I've said multiple times on the podcast that being a parent has like flipped a switch in my brain. Like I used to not. Uh, this is going to sound horrible. I used to not give. Like it didn't hit me too hard when like something bad would happen to a kid on a show like some parent you know left a kid in the middle of a park at a show and and that's just you know a plot hook to for that character like even in you use it back oh, yeah that's a shitty parent yeah right and that's it right like awesome movie reference right now joe dirt oh lord has a part where they leave the kid at like the grand canyon and they drive away yeah Shannon and I used to watch Joe Dirt often. It, it's it. That's very strange. It, it, I don't very know. Strange. I don't know. I don't know why we enjoy that show so much, but we really do. Um, <laughs> People are getting a view into your inner yeah. workings right now. And, and we used to just watch it for laughs and stuff. I I could barely stomach stomach that. Yeah, I could barely stomach it now because they the parents just leave the kid at the Grand Canyon. What the hell? Yeah. And this like on a deep level hurts me. You're not going to like Shazam. I, I, I watched Shazam. Shazam? Shazam was not a... Well, I, I really like the movie. Again, anytime kids are hurt. Like, even bullies picking on kids at school. I'm like, nope, nope, do not like. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, I think you uh, you brought up a good point as well, Adam, just like in, the, in our campaign. An example of what can happen to a character is... My character did lose her moral compass, lost her sword, and then the Half person she cared about the most like got obliterated in front of her face. The next dungeon crawl we did right after that with that character, she made some of the dumbest decisions. Oh, yeah. Because she was just in a point of, like, I don't give a shit anymore. She, yeah. like, shoved her hand in a sarcophagus. She, like, grabbed <laughs> swords off of a stone. She destroyed a statue that might have been magical. Like, she just didn't give a shit to the point where the new character, Asriel, Terry's new character, was like, what the fuck is happening? Who is this person? At yeah. point? It's like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah, and you guys had to sit down and you fought it out because he came in as this lawful, good, moral character yeah. and you were not anymore. At that point. Right, yeah. and so... She got it back over time, but there was that, that dark period where yeah. she did not have it. I mean, this just reinforces the whole your character's alignments that you choose at the beginning are going to fluctuate. Yeah. And, and don't be so tight fisted on them but the dm should see it fluctuating and know that and this is my point know that this is going to be something that that is now an opportunity if they murder those bandits on the side of the road and they don't know that they were starving peasants because the king was is is taxing people too much you just knew that there were bandits there now think about why they were bandits because your players didn't 
They didn't talk to anybody. They just went in and they murdered everybody. And then maybe you have a couple of kids on the road wandering around crying. They'll come upon them and be like, oh, why are you crying? Even if they don't give a shit, why are you crying? Oh, our parents got murdered two days ago. They were. They said they'd go out to get us food. They were wearing this. <laughs> yeah. And now your players go, oh, shit. Will they ask the next time? Yeah. And if they don't, then maybe you have an assassin from an assassin's guild come up and say, hey, you guys are stone cold. Let's let's see what you can do, right? We've got this mission for you. And draw them down the path of evil because they obviously want to go that way. Yeah. Until all of a sudden they don't want to go that way. And like, wait a minute, what are we doing? We're not evil. Oh, no, you are. You've done this and this and this. You just put you flaunt it in front of them and say, look at all the shit you've done. Yeah. That's very Elder Scrolls Skyrim. Like, yes, like the very. The first time you yeah. murder someone and go to sleep, <laughs> just get, get a, approached get, by the guild, right? Just get a note. We know. We know, right? <laughs> so that being said, we've kind of discussed alignment as it is this more fluid, ambiguous, like it's just there to kind of help guide your characters around. So um, what do you guys think about an alternative alignment chart? We can roll on this one and see if we've got some alternative ideas. I got a nine. I got a seven. I got a three. Um, I I would be completely okay if alignment just didn't exist. No, see, I don't agree with you because we need it for the planes. We need to have the devils versus demons and Yugoloth's conversation. Mm-hmm. We have to have where the Modrons come from yeah, and uh, yeah, angels. Yeah, but I, I and... don't necessarily think that those are things that require an alignment mechanic to exist. Um, like... Having devils fighting demons in an eternal war where the Yugoloths are stuck between them as these uh, for hire mercenaries, you could do that without saying, well, it's because the devils are lawful and the demons are chaotic. You could just say, they are opposing forces in the hells. Go. Right? Your happy hunting ground and your Mount uh, Celestia, like, don't need to be opposed based off law and chaos your um angels fighting devils that's just basic morality it doesn't need to have a mechanic based on it right um that's why i'm like i i would be okay for alignment to just kind of go away it they they have been slowly removing its importance in the additions as we're going along. For players, though, not for the planes, man. For, for, for players. And, and I mean, I get that that's how you define what the planes are now. I don't think they're, I don't think they're necessary, hmm. right? Um, would I change the planes if I removed the alignment? No, I wouldn't. Um, I mean, I'd probably make it a little bit more simple but even they don't really follow the planes uh, the alignment things horribly because there's always like there's the chaotic good plane and then there's the chaotic neutral plane and then there's like three minor demi planes in between right that are different that this one's a little bit more chaotic than this one is good or or whatever it is right Mm -hmm. like there's when you bring in things like demi-planes and high-powerful liches and mages who just randomly create planes as they go, even in uh, the uh, Tomb of Annihilation uh, module, there's demi-planes in there that aren't good. They're not evil. They're just there. They're demi-planes, right? So 
I don't think they're necessary for the planar system, especially when we also have elemental aspects that are thrown in. And uh, there's the astral plane, which kind of just is in everything, and the river Styx, which is just kind of in most things. And the, you know, the ethereal and the transitive planes on top of those as well. Like, there's so many freaky-deaky bullshit things happening with the planes. I think just applying random mechanical aspects to them is unnecessary. Um if there's anything I would do that is uh, alignment related now, it would definitely be to have a character's actions just have a little bit more of a consequence than they do. If your party of characters, regardless of what their alignment is, robs a store, they are now criminals. Have the town guard go after them. I don't care if they're heroes. You right? just said, though, don't punish them. No, I'm not saying... I, I didn't say don't punish them. I'm, I'm, I'm saying... You don't have to have that uh, hard mechanical rule for alignment to punish them. You don't need it there. He did say that consequences should be there. Consequences okay. consequences so, matter. So story-wise, consequences, mechanic-wise, not. Yeah, exactly. That's okay. what I'm trying to say. All right. But you are next, Adam. So what are your thoughts? So my thoughts are I disagree 100% on the planes. And it is simply because we don't have anything like that anywhere else. That is definitive D&D planes. Even when it was the world tree, they still all had an alignment attached to them. And we don't we don't need them, but that gives so much flavor. And it gives an idea of what you're where you're heading. Lawful good does not mean stupid. And a lot of people play it that way. A lot of people play um well Look, I hate lawful stupid. If you're playing lawful stupid Fix yourself. But <laughs> unless you're playing a lawful character who got six in. But and, but and, but having the, the lawful good like the angels come from Mount Celestia and they come down and they say, Hey, look, here are the rules, and they just give hard and fast good rules. And here's a good rule no longer eat meat. Everyone is gonna be a vegetarian because we will no longer hurt any living creature uh, with a heartbeat. Well, that's all well and good until you have the carnivorous races. Right? What does that mean? Does that mean that every lizard folk is evil? Every minotaur? Like where do we where are we drawing the line on this, right? Yeah. And your party will have to draw that line, and now that's a conflict. Right? Having those alignments in existence is really, really, really fun because it allows you to say, I agree or I disagree with this imposed morality by this creature. Right? What, Dan? Are minotaurs carnivorous? They're like big cow things. I just am- they eat the flesh of people. They very much are kind of. They eat the flesh of people. Minotaurs? Yes. Bum bum bum. Thanks. You're welcome. So, um, and as far as as far as players go, I would say this: don't look at it as as good, neutral, evil. If you want a better way to think about it, think about it as charitable, neutral, self-serving. Not selfish, but my needs are more important than others. And then when you think of order, neutrality, and chaos, think about, is there a system in place that I respect? It doesn't have to be rules. It can be a moral guideline. Hmm. But is there a system here that I respect? Yeah. For example, the, the etiquette at a bar, right? Where you just don't, you, you don't smash the mug and say, another beer, right? That's, that's just bad etiquette. Regrettably. But, uh, well, that makes you more on the chaotic side of things, <laughs> yeah. right? Is there an etiquette that, that you want to follow? So um, you can think about it, uh, rigidity versus freedom. 
do you require um, the concept of safety or are you more outgoing? The idea of a lawful person with wanderlust is a little strange to me. You have to have a little bit of chaos inside you to say, I want to go over to those distant lands I know nothing about, go check it out. Especially in a D&D world where that's going to take you months of travel to get there. Mm-hmm. Right? In today's world, you can just hop on a plane, go visit for a week and come home. It was a whole hell of a lot different 500 years ago when oh, I'm going to go over to the new world and I guess eke out my existence because I can't afford to come back. Hmm. So, <laughs> right? Like there are different rules there and and also think about what is the current established status quo right would you say that the american revolution was lawful or chaotic oh chaotic 100 percent. hey they were arguing taxation without representation is wrong these are the rules and you guys are going against it uphold your own rules and we will fight you about it I could make an argument either way on uh, yeah, that. Yeah, you really could. Yeah. Right? So so think about rebellions and revolutions and and what are the rules of the people versus the rules of the of the upper class the uh, bourgeoisie. So hmm. and you and I are also on the other spectrum of things on the good to evil. Oh, you and I are on another spectrum, but um, we we <laughs> had <subject>. right. <laughs> uh, we've 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 disagreed and agreed uh, at different points in time about um, the good and evil line being uh, like I've said it was sanctity of life at one point that was kind of the defining factor of it um, and you hard disagreed to that um, at the time like where what would you put as like the de- de- defining uh, the defining thing to the good evil spectrum like is is it sanctity of life? Is it, no, it it's, it's perseverance it's, of uh, it's charity versus versus self centered? That's it. Well, self serving. You were saying yeah, self serving. Yeah. So yeah. and it's as long as it's if it's about me and my safety and what I want, then that's then that skews evil. What I want is more important than what you want. That skews evil. But again, we're talking priorities, right? Is it a good thing if there is, I don't know, one pound of bread, everyone is starving, you divvy it up equally. Is that good or evil? If you hoard it for yourself, is that good or evil? If you are the chosen one and they are all criminals, is it good or evil if you keep it to yourself? Right? And there's real morality here. There's uh, At what point do you kill to save your children's lives? Mm-hmm. These are hard questions to ask. So it's the idea of good and evil is complicated. I think a good dungeon master knows the table, knows what they want to deal with, what bullshit they want to deal with on a week-to-week basis, and plays in the gray area that they're willing to play in. You don't want to consistently challenge every week. You don't want to sit down and have Sophie's Choice No, every week. That's a bad time. No. Week after week after week, no thank you. But, man, is every goblin evil? Talk to your kobolds. Talk to your kobolds. Right? <laughs> is, is murder evil? Yes. Is murdering an, a member of an evil race evil? Maybe. Is murdering a member of an evil cult evil? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Is murdering an evil god evil? I don't know. Where where are we on this spec? So yeah. like, there's there's qualifiers there because conditions. You as a dungeon master have to keep your mind open. That's yeah. Well, and and this goes back to us, you know, as a DM, just being aware and attentive. Because not only do you have um, to kind of balance that, and we would encourage you as DMs to definitely play on that for sure. But um, 
you mentioned earlier, like this one campaign that we're running right now is hard because we are, we've just constantly been making the wrong decision and, and you've thrown this uh, uh, alignment dilemma in fairly consistently throughout the campaign, right? Like yeah. the, the, the theme of this campaign is moral ambiguity. Um, and, and I'm not saying it's a bad campaign at yeah, all. We've been thoroughly enjoying it, but it was definitely well, something we originally intended to last six months and has lasted two years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess I guess the question is, it, there's a big difference. Here's, here's here, This will summarize it up. There's a big difference between which of these are the two greater, uh, of these two options are the greater good, and which of these two options are the lesser evil. Mm-hmm. That may sound like the same thing at first, but it... It's a very different question when you're making people ask it over and over and over again, am I the bad guy? Because sometimes the answer will be yes. Yep. And as a DM, follow those plot lines, but know when to let them go too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Megan, what did, you've listened to us babble here for a while. <laughs> well, at the end of the day, like when, when it comes to being a player, I like the fact that the alignment chart gives you the ability to kind of make a choice of what direction you want to push your character to start. And then wherever your character, your choices you make throughout that kind of alter that. However, I do find that it's too complicated for what it is. Like, um, to your point, simplify it to the, are you charitable or are you self-serving? Yep. Right? So I just said, like, just minimize it to good, evil, neutral. And then your character floats with their decisions based on I'm going in the good direction, but my choices might be bad choices to get there. Mm-hmm. Why try and label it with a title when any choice you make in the game could be literally any alignment no matter how you look at it yeah so um that was my th- my thought was just to simplify it in some way shape or form of just being good but i like the words that you used charitable or self-serving right yeah um i did also say that i would like to see a chart eventually of um different eating habits because i think that would be hilarious because <laughs> i mean like i'm vegan which means i make these choices or i'm <laughs> I, I, well, we said we don't like lawful stupid megan i know <laughs> Oh, bring me the hatred. <laughs> My name is Terry. Come get me. I, I don't know. I just send noobs D and D. I just, I just feel it, the chart is too complicated for what it's just trying to represent. It's supposed to help you build a character. It's supposed to help you make the choices you want to make, but really, it's making it more difficult it because can you're be trying to figure out if it's burdensome sometimes, right? Because you're trying to figure out, oh, which which of these nine boxes does it fit in? When really, it just fits into one of three at the end yeah. of the day. And it's just a matter of, to your point of talking, just the the spectrum of it. Like, I am a good character, but I may make shitty choices to get where I'm at. Why do I have to put that into another box? Well, what's what's interesting here is I know that we we took it out of classes in from, like, for 5th edition, right? But it's still very much written in the races. They tell you, you know, whether or not it's more elves are chaotic, dwarves are, are lawful, generally speaking. Yeah. And there are racial tendencies towards it, which is very strange. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's really helpful when you're deciding what kind of character to make. Not necessarily my elf is lawful, but I come from a lawful society. Yeah, that's where you right. grew up, where you were brought up from. Yeah. yeah. Well, you also bring in, when you start bringing in religion to this as well, and like where on this spectrum does your deity or your patron's <laughs> alignment compare to your actions? And well, but, but my favorite thing is, no matter what, if you have a, a chaotic, evil god, every cultist is lawful. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that's just it. Like, right? if, if you're a chaotic, evil follower of an evil god, 
Uh, you're smearing yourself in peanut butter and having a blood orgy, right? Oh my god! You're not actually. That was, that was very hyper <laughs> focused. <laughs> I don't want to talk about what I do on Thursday night, <laughs> but but uh, <laughs> but you're you're not sitting there for a meeting and pledging, you know, my my five gold pieces every Wednesday to make sure that. Yeah. You know, yeah. Then you're just in Boy Scouts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Boy Scouts with just with more sickles. It's just oh or God. less sickles. <laughs> we had a lot of sickles. Were we in a cult? <laughs> All right, that's a question for another night. So, <laughs> I feel like we've talked alignment to death. So I feel like we could move on to um, some of the other finer details of how you can kind of utilize alignment in your game. Well, let's talk about honor first. Let's get to a commercial before we do that. Was oh, a commercial? Okay, fine. <laughs> hey guys Dan here with It's a Mimic we are having another mailbag episode uh, mailbag number 7 um, on March 19th and we are still looking for a couple uh, questions we will answer anything under the sun You, if you've heard the other ones you know this you know this well so hit us at info at itsamimic.com and we'll throw them on the sheets thanks guys alright so let's talk about honor so this is one of the two uh, main optional um, character abilities that you can kind of add to your game to kind of add a little bit more depth or flesh it out a little bit. Um, so honor is something you kind of add to a campaign, probably if you are in a, a world that has like rigid codes or um, I would say things like the, the Knights of the Round Table, shall we say, or something like that. Just things that have like a harsh code. Or if you're doing a Japanese-based game and you want yeah. to follow Bushido, like so you're just going to have people that have like a harsh code that they want to follow. So that's kind of something you would add honor into. Um, have you guys ever added honor into a game? Um... I have added uh, reputation, mm-hmm. which I feel is kind of part and parcel with honor. Yeah. Um, if if you read the rules for adding things like honor, sanity to your game in the DMG, um, it, it it brings in the fact that honor is not just uh, trying to make a decision based on your code, but is also how other people uh, view you as being an honorable or dishonorable person. Yeah. Um. I, I really like the honor mechanic, but I I don't see its frequent use. I think that you're going to use... Can, should we roll for this? Yeah, yeah. Might as well. I had an 18. I did a 1. And then Adam's 17 rolled me down to a 4. I'm happy. I'm happy with that. Okay. So, Adam. Honor, I feel, is a mechanic suited for a campaign that's, that's roleplay heavy. Where you're dealing with the nobility and royalty, or where you are heading into um, a world tour of all of the different races, the playable races, and you got to go from tabaxi to centaurs to elves, and it's going to be different from one to the next. You probably want to have an honor score so that you have a modifier to be able to to play with it, right? So yeah. um, you'll have a better chance with some rolls. I like the examples that they give you. Uh, in the DMG, um, honors for when you're unsure how to act with honor, while you're surrendering while trying to save face, trying to determine another character's honor score, trying to use the proper etiquette in a delicate social situation, uh, using your honorable or dishonorable reputation to influence somewhere, someone else. These are the checks. And the saves are recognizing when an enemy attempts to trick a character into a breach of honor. Resisting the urge to respond to goading or insults. 
avoiding an accidental breach of honor or etiquette. I like these because that's going to really matter when you walk into the, the Kuatoa encampment and, and you end up going, I don't know how, I don't speak the language. I don't speak Bollywood and they don't speak common. Mm-hmm. How do I get on their good side? Make an honor roll. Right, it's not just charisma because your insight's not going to get you all the way there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. So an honor roll feels like a really good idea from there, but it's something that I don't want to deal with as a as a general rule. Yeah. Honor no, is probably yeah. my least favorite of them. Well, it uh, I one hundred percent agree with you on this. Uh, and I mean, you you read through it and it says if you encounter a monster that doesn't have an honor or a, sat- a sanity stat, to use charisma for honor. And wisdom for sanity. We'll talk about sanity in a minute. Right, and we'll talk about sanity in a minute, but like the game even says, here's an optional mechanic for it. But if there's a question and, and it's you don't see a present anywhere else, just use the mechanic we have established with a charisma check. Right? A lot of this seems to be influencing people and people's opinion of your character. That's what a lot of honor is based out of. And I get it for if you're playing that samurai campaign or you're playing that knights and nobility campaign. I get it for that. I wouldn't use this in any other world, right? I like the idea of a reputation a little bit because that could just be that could just be a thing that is applied to the characters as they progress in the story arc. Your character should start as nobodies and end as the heroes of the kingdoms. Well, they're going to do that anyway, but I think that you shouldn't have a personal honor chart. You should have a group reputation. Like, oh, I like that. Yeah. Right. So your group, your your party. This is why I always like to name the party, right? Like, yeah. And you guys are the forbidden in our Sunday group. Yeah. Um, and it, it's a lot of fun. And I wanted to get into that with the gang warfare, right? Where I wanted to have a mechanic that was very similar to honor. But it was going to be street cred. Okay, uh, here, here's here's a question, and, and I, I'm breaking the order of the dice that we set up. But this I, is, I just, this is the theme of today, though. Yeah. So. <laughs> um, I really like the idea of having a group honor chart um, or reputation chart or whatever it is. But does each individual member have a score within that chart? I ask this because when you look at superheroes, which we've talked about in in Don't earlier in the episode, well, I'm not bringing it up again. Um, when you look at superhero teams, there's always the far more respected than others. Like, there's your Superman, who's the paragon of, you know, truth and justice. And then there's your Aquaman, that dude screws fish. Okay. And I mean, Aquaman is a great superhero. I love him as a superhero. Because he screws fish? No, because he's an actually yes. incredibly yeah. intriguing <laughs> character. But he has a reputation that is lower Mostly because his Atlantean ways don't translate to sidebar. Service l- Aquaman is true neutral. Oh lord, I don't want to even because that. he has balanced the scales. Oh lord. Oh god, I hate you so that was the much. Worst dad joke ever for D anD D I've ever heard. <laughs> you make a meme out of that and you post that. I like it. But yeah, I honestly like my my feelings tie into this. So can I answer that for you? Sure. So I like the idea that you're talking about having an honor score for the team. You However, didn't need my permission. You could just interject. Megan's more lawful good than we are. I told you. I have to. Honestly, <laughs> I'm revealing too much about myself. Um, so, because I actually put in here that I like the idea of them having individual honor scores for their specific gang or their specific upbringing. So, let's say you do have your lawful good paladin. Of course, they're going to be 
they're going to have an honor code with probably the church that they're with or what have you. The rogue, however, comma, even though they're in this group of people, is probably not going to be liked by said church because they probably follow a different code, etc. Right? Yeah. So you would almost want to play into your character's strengths of who they have relationships with because that character is going to get you to where you need to go. So mm-hmm. like, let's say you are run into a, a, an instance where you actually need help from the Thieves Guild or what have you. Your paladin's not going to be the person who has the highest honor to be able to get the Thieves Guild to do what you want to do. The rogue might. So it forces characters who aren't normally front-facing in your campaign for the person who speaks for you, forces them out from underneath that rock, forced to have those charisma checks and conversations because they're the one that has the connection with that group, not your constant lawful paladin. And, and, and you could really bring into the fact that like 10 is median. Yeah. That, that is your median score or 11 is your median score. If you're below 10, you're dishonorable, which means churches, law uh, agencies, um, those kind of people aren't going to really like you. Yeah. Knights, uh, samurai, they're not going to like you. However, you're thieves, you're bards, you're, you're more, um, let's say, chaotic side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, people might like you more with a lower honor score than a higher honor score. Yeah. I like right? it. The DM can almost play into that, right? Like, right? let's say you like a lawful good paladin raps on the door. They slide the, the slidey open <laughs> eye open. Hard no. Like, slam I'm not shot. talking to you. Slam it shut. Right? And then you as a team. She <laughs> just opens. You cop? <laughs> you have to you tell have to me. Tell you're me. Cop. <laughs> but like you as a DM can play into that, right? Slam it shut and it forces your team to think, okay, well, how are we going to talk to this thieves guild? Then you look down at the tiny rogue like, hey man, like this is you. Pick the gnome up by the belt and just hold them up to the sliding. Right? So you kind of almost have to play into the different types of honor codes these characters might have. Yeah. All right. So that this discussion makes me want to play with an honor thing yeah or a reputation well, i've played Almost. games with honor like i've played a few games with uh, honor, l5r is like that right it is but you're all in the same honor code there okay. is nothing like like there's no variance there's everyone's no variance. Bushido. everyone okay. is bushido everyone is like it's on that bushido spectrum there's nothing else all right hold on let me pitch this to you i haven't thought this through yet but let me pitch this all right what if you sat down and created some sort of plus one plus two plus three system for every playable race every subclass and every background and that determines your starting honor score mm. this sounds like pathfinder 2 the oh does that a, uh pathfinder 2 is like oh you're a goblin you get eight hit points that's weird oh you're a goblin fighter well add 10 to that eight hit points I'm surprised you don't know this adam you love pathfinder i just fucking hate <laughs> but but oh, that 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 God system exists and it is my least favorite part about the Pathfinder but, system, Pathfinder Two system. But but my my point I'm is that rule there. that I think that that honor needs to be able to go up and down, and your your party can have a combined honor. Yeah. Right. That you look at. Okay, look at us. Look at this renown that we have because we got two paladins and a cleric in here, and the rogue and the wizard are just like leeching off their good times, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than having a group score. You just you add have, up everyone else's total. number. You have a group and, total. Yeah, yeah, and that's why. So I think that there would be things like elves have higher honor than than bugbears. So yeah. do you incentivize having a higher honor? Like if you guys hit a certain, this is my World of Warcraft brain. If you guys hit a certain level of 
Like, are you honored? Are you revered? Are you exalted? Like, what what level are you sitting in this reputation I think to gain access to these goods and services or to gain access to these titles or rewards? Like, is Well, that there... kind of speaks to, like, even just, like, the... If you're thinking, like, in the army, like, the higher standing you have, what badge of honor you wear, basically, right? Yeah. But putting that on your team. It would, well, would, the, would the lawful good paladin who's a private have more or less honor than the lawful good paladin who's a <laughs> corporal? All right. Okay. So, so bear with me for just a second, because this is going to be a little counter counterintuitive. Oh Lord! For just a moment. Oh. We already have a system in place for this. For your for reputation, not necessarily honor, but for reputation, we have a system in place. Mm. We all play with milestones for leveling, and I say we continue to do that. Experience says what your reputation is. Oh, cool. No, I'm with you. That actually. I, I, you just have to have, have experience points given to role play scenarios and exploration scenarios mm. and magic item scenarios, right? Like so, so there would be more to it. But if you killed, if you are the dragon slayers and you have killed, you know, CR seventeen beasts, your your names are spread among the land. Yeah, there is there is a system that we have done that we're not going to be talking about in any of these actually, but um, you had the achievement system that we've laid down uh, before in our, in our group. Um, it was pretty meta though. It was, which was severely meta. I'm saying you can have a, as a DM, a list of like achievements for your party. And those achievements translate to different. So there are tables that do exist already that have been like homebrewed and made. I, I yeah. found a few while I was hunting around that actually have a point system of if you save the princess, you get plus three. If you um, successfully talk to a diplomat, you get a plus two and it adds to your yeah. your score. And then there's another table of if you do this, it minuses from your honor. Like it gets into the details that way. But you could almost just as a DM make those choices too. Yeah. And honestly, I do that with you guys as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I've been watching... There are factions in the world that are aware of what you guys have been up to, whether it's a coven of hags or the Liberation Order or whatever it is. They're all sitting around watching you. And every time you step towards evil or chaos, one of them will pop up and go, interesting, here's a plot hook. Yeah. Every time you step towards law or good, yeah. oh, okay, would you like to do this? And doors will open or close based on this. But I, but it's loose and it's fun. I don't need a system to be like, ah, oh, shit, they've only got 19 honor between the four of them. Mm. I really need them to be at 21 so we can unlock the... It's It feels like it's handcuffing. Yeah. Right? Whereas reputation, I feel, is just something that you should get as you hit different tiers. Yeah. You, you just I, become it, great big famous heroes by the end. Yeah, but I mean, my only problem with using experience as that metric to, uh, like, the, the, to quantify yeah. reputation... Um, my problem with it is reputation can be negative as well. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. right. I was thinking more about monster kills. Yeah, right. right? Like if, if you are just playing a series of monster hunters who are, you know, going along the lands, just slowly building up a reputation of, oh, you're, you know, you're the dragon slayers and now you're the, the kobold genocidists. Like genocidists? Whatever. Um, so it, 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 Brings in a problem where you're like, oh, you're also the assholes who burned down the orphanage. Yeah, right. Like, yikes! What what you can't use experience to to do that. So I, I would almost say like, I have a better it's, system. It's got to be something the DM controls because my other issue you have. 
spell slots. You have Battlemaster dice, Bardic Inspiration. You have all of these little like, and I've, I've argued this before, and we've 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 had a fight about this before, Adam. You have all of these little mechanical systems to measure on your character. Um, you have key points, whatever it is. Adding another one on that is this fine tuned, as in, oh, you talk to the princess, add plus three. Adding that in is going to add far more paperwork than I think it's worth. Yeah, that's why I say that the Dungeon Master should track it. Yeah, it should be the Dungeon Master tracking. Yeah. And the players should care. They should know. It should be, it should be uh, like, you should be posting it. Yeah, right? yeah. It should be on the back at of the every DM milestone, at the At every milestone, you're like, Here, here's your reputation. Here's where you guys sit right now. All right, hold on. I got a better one. Okay? I got a better idea. Reputation and honor don't matter at all. I mean, we already know you can use charisma for honor, which is what I would do, right? Like, mm-hmm. the prince asks you to, you know, are you good at, at what? At dancing. And the bard says, oh, yeah, shit, I'm great at it. Okay, look, deception check. Yeah. <laughs> right? I'm wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to sh- show me performance check. Let's see how well, how good you do. There are mechanics for it. So, what if honor and reputation is tallied the whole time by the dungeon master in secret and then once the campaign is over or a character dies you get your final score and you just keep track with your circle of friends between all the campaigns who is the most honorable or least honorable character Mm. who has the best reputation and why i almost feel like okay you know how at the end of our games we do um the like not experience dice inspiration inspiration dice dice. instead of inspiration dice handle honor points so to be to each other's oh, players as a spendable resource. Yeah. Look, I've played fourth edition. I don't need action points again in my life. True enough. True. But, but like, but I mean, if you wanted to do that, that's where you would grab that mechanic from, yeah. right? True enough. Is the action point. So you get to do this one extra time, or you get um, advantage on this. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just easier with inspiration dice because you can add depending on whether it was a big session or a small session. Yeah. Will determine how big the dice are that you. That you get right. Yeah. True enough. And I mean, and in the DMG, just above the honor and sanity things, that's hero points, which are these things we're talking about. Yeah, yeah. So, interesting. I, yeah, I don't, I don't really have anything else to say, but that I think that it, it could very likely be a mechanic. I'd be interested in checking it out. I think it's more interesting as a high score that your your party should get eventually, especially I, if the intended point of the game is to become like yeah. heroes, heroes. But right? I, if that's but, your goal, but shit, but I'll just give you titles. Yeah. Right? Like, do you want to be captain of a ship? Do you want to be a noble, a duke, a count, a yeah. countess? Yeah. Like, do you want the peasants to, like, whisper to to each other as you walk by being like, oh, that that's that's the that's lion. Yeah, yeah, right, right. Exactly. And, like, honestly, the bard should already be getting a certain amount of that by level one anyway. Yeah. Because you're already heroes. So. It's true. I don't know. I think it depends on the group that you're playing with, whether or not they would like that. If your group is full of a bunch of people that really give a shit about Xbox Achievement Awards, mm-hmm. then you might want to consider this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, For sure. But just as a as just another stat, it doesn't it doesn't fit. It fits fine. I I but I'm never gonna use it. It's gonna come up three times in a huge campaign, right? Yeah. yeah. So at least my campaigns. A political intrigue campaign where you're sitting in a council meetings, this shit may matter. Right. Yeah. But not not my campaign. I'm. We're pulling out swords too often. Fair enough. It's true. All right, let's go to a shout out. <laughs> a shoot out. <laughs> a shoot out. A shoot out. <laughs> so who are three skaters on each? No, no, not a, not a shoot out. No. Okay. Hockey, Stop it. Hockey jokes. Sports. 
So what we're going at, Adam, is straight up deadpan staring <laughs> me down. Um, so uh, usually with our shout out, what we're doing is we are uh, plug in Instagram pages that we like and plug in um, Facebook pages or, or people in the community that we like. And uh, honestly, we um, in year two of the podcast, we've decided to move on from that uh and a way to kind of say thank you to all of our listeners who have put in the year of investment into listening to us um prattle on endlessly about D. so uh what we have kind of set up is we want uh you guys the audience to send us the shout outs that we would do in this space somewhere between the topic two and topic three of whatever we're covering in any given episode um this could be a happy birthday this could be a um shouting out your DD group that has done something cool that week or or dm that is particularly awesome or or whatever it is whatever you guys want um we want you to send us out an email at info at it's a mimic.com and we will in our own voices do your shout-out for you. Also, if you want to give yourself a shout-out and you want to just um, give yourself the the accolades because you had a really cool idea or you're starting a brand new uh, online campaign or, or hell, you're one of the donors on our website because we can't see who's giving us donations. No. Um, then then drop us a line at info at uh, itsamimic.com as well because you guys are, are doing amazing, awesome things and you are D&D players as well. And just because you are not actively... How many people out there are 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 giving uh, are posting new things to DMs Guild? Yeah, right. And and nobody knows about it. Let us know. We'd be happy to pimp your shit. So so give us give us a give us a uh, an email. Drop us a line. Let us know. Don't do it through Instagram or Twitter. Or whatnot. Hit us up through the email address um, so that we can keep it all in one place. And once a week, we will randomly select. We'll roll a die and we will randomly select. Uh, which show do we want to do? And I think we're going to start doing that on the very next episode. So yeah, cool. And Megan is going to be the person that does it every week. Oh, okay. Does yeah, that, am it, I intern Megan now? Did I get that job? I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> do I want that job? No, you're 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 definitely above coffee, bitch, as well. So oh yeah, <laughs> we, we can we can have you be executive assistant, Megan. Oh, good. I like that. Um, we can have uh, Brad is going to be uh, Brad is going to be mailroom Brad. Like no, that. he's human resources. No, he's not. There's nothing human about that guy. He's a lizard person. <laughs> oh, Lord. Creature resources. There you go. <laughs> D&D terms, shall we say. He just sits there in a mascot costume. <laughs> it's the forked tongue that sells it. Yeah. Oh, Lord. Any hoozle. So let's get into talking about sanity score. Any hoozle? <laughs> you heard me. Okay. <laughs> We're talking about sanity. <laughs> Everyone gives me shit for mis- mispronouncing <laughs> and making up words. I didn't mispronounce any hoozle. <laughs> And making up words. That wasn't made up. That's normal. I've heard that many times. Thank you. I hate you people. Yeah. Uh, talking about sanity. So sanity score is something that you normally traditionally would be implemented into a game if you're doing something horror themed, like a Call of Cthulhu type game or like a sci-fi aliens unknown game. Or... Cosmic horror really leans into yeah. it. But even if you're going to do like, hey, you know what? We cut off limbs in this game with our crit table. Yeah. You can do sanity on that as well, right? Right. Yeah. So someone considered to have like high sanity, maybe someone's like level headed, knows what's understanding, like understands how to deal with different circumstances. Low sanity just kind of really means madness, unable to control yourself, like all that kind of stuff, right? Um, so sanity rules kind of dictate the same way honor does. It's a point system that it allows you to do checks. So you have your saves and your checks and things like that that you would go through. 
Um, so if you're going to be doing a sanity check, that'd be something like if you're trying to decipher a piece of text on a written paper or overcome the lingering effects of madness, comprehending a piece of alien magic or maybe a magical item that you don't understand or anything that's foreign um, to try and understand it. So you might call for a save if your character runs the risk of like succumbing to the madness. Um, so seeing a creature from a far off realm or making direct contact with a mind of an alien creature or being subjected to spells that affect your, like your mental stability. I mean, we in our last campaigns literally stared into the eyes of gods. So we all Not just their think. eyes either. Dan started into the abyss of gods as well. <laughs> right? And resisting an effect or conferring, by, or like, or an attack spell or something that might go against, like, yeah. dealing with mind flares, like that kind of stuff, right? Yeah, I, I feel like if you're getting your brain munched on, there should be a sanity score involved. I have many opinions about this. So do we want to just dive into advantages and problems that might happen with having sanity and just roll on who wants to go first on that? I'm, I'm a little concerned because I'm sitting across the table from two people who I have killed in Call of Cthulhu. It's true. Which has... To be fair, you only murdered me. Dave murdered Megan. That's true, but murdered Megan based off sanity score failing. Dave. Fuck you, coffee bitch Dave. Yeah, so uh, <laughs> I'm a little concerned. Let's roll this up. Right. That's Seven. a ten. I got an eight. Okay, so what's the question? Do I like sanity score? Well, I talk love about advantages or potential problems. Okay, so potential problem is you have a character who plays low sanity and they have no idea how to play an insane person, so they just babble and be kooky and weird and randomly go catatonic, right? Like, um, there has to be, in my personal opinion, some dm direction to how this breaks there, not that it breaks there are tables there's a madness table in the dmg there is there is so there needs to be some sort of guidance or direction of how that madness plays out depending on where your sanity score lies i love having a sanity mechanic i think it, it uh, especially when you're dealing with high level campaigns needs to be an aspect because everyone is so you know ridiculously powerful that this is a thing that kind of brings them down to earth a little bit. It, it's another way to, it's another way for a DM to attack without just relying straight up on combat. Which at level 17, 18, 19, 20, you will find your party is kind of hard to take down. So there needs to be another venue for DM to kind of attack the character sheet. And at higher level, you've been through some shit. You've been through some shit. Right? You should have a sanity score. Oh man, you know that Mordenkainen has freaking Rasputin eyes, right? Like, he's seen some crazy shit. Yeah, especially when you consider uh, Strahd and how he plays into Strahd, right? Strayed? Strayed. Yeah. Um, now, in the previous section, um, there are rules in the DMG for going mad and rolling on the table, and I really like that um, effect that's there. But I don't, the, I don't, the, I don't effects, like the examples, the effects that are here, only last for one d ten minutes as well. So, if you're dropping your uh, sanity score, but, but, it should be a little longer turn but, than that. There's a lot of tables that are involved <laughs> in using a sanity score. <laughs> So why don't we start by describing that then? So how do you end up on the short-term madness table? Um, it's got to be something that is uh, initially shocking, but your character with some time can kind of get over it. it it's like uh, it's like a jump scare in a movie. It's also when they're when they're gonna if they take psychic damage, if they take enough psychic damage, if they drop by fifty percent of their hit points in one go, I would I would force a sanity roll. Yeah. Right and. Um, it's going to be a short-term effect because, holy shit, I need to sit down and rethink my life. 
Right. What are a couple of the examples, Dan? Um, you retreat into your mind and become paralyzed. This is basically you going uh, catatonic. Sure. Yeah. Um, you go catatonic, but are screaming, laughing, and weeping. Um, you uh, become frightened and run away. You become babbling um, and are thus incapable of casting spells. Uh, you. Um, so, so these are momentarily crippling. So I think it should be from momentary effects. Right. Whereas you're going to get the longer term ones if you lose a hand. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, something like, because you're going to expect to see that hand for a while. Anytime you look down and then it's not there. How often are you going to reach for a cup and knock it with your stump? Yeah. Indefinite should be left towards the like cosmic horror, like mind altering uh, like mind-shattering stuff that you will encounter in high-level D&D. I don't think there's going to be a lot of uh, indefinite madness generated in a tier three or lower campaign. Oh, uh, no, I'll argue with that. And uh, I'll, I'll tell you, gibbering mouthers, I think if you get killed by one, if, you, if an intellect devourer teleports into your skull and eats your brain and then and then is murdered, but it all happens within 10 minutes and you get revivified... I would say that that is a long-term madness that you get. Uh, long-term or, or, or indefinite? Oh, I would even say indefinite. You pierced the veil and you've been brought back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would say long-term for any resurrection, no, but I- any sort of violent, mind-altering. You got brought low by by psychic damage, um, by a mind flare chewing on your, your squishy bits. I'm, I'm, I'm 100% uh, on board with this, only because with things like the Zealot... Barbarian class and and uh, all of the ways to just stand back up. If you're playing a half orc, period, you could just stand back up. All of these other ways uh, to kind of subvert death, um, and that's not even mentioning how easy it is to revivify, resurrect, uh, reincarnate, all of those other things. Um, well, I think we there needs seen- to be more of a price, yeah. a long term price for death. It 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 bothers me as a player and a DM. That if my important NPC dies and we revivify them, it's, well, it was a Thursday today. Like, are they just going to go home and be normal? Oh, death is cheap in D&D. Death is cheap in D&D. Well, we talked about that during the death of character episode. We talked about the fact that being as a DM, you could add consequences to having to be revivified and brought back to life. And honestly, the sanity score is the easiest way to do that. And and the best. Yeah. Right? Like, I, 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 I... don't like necessarily how the sanity score works in Dungeons and Dragons, how they laid it out in the DMG. Well, I, I stole, we use it in my campaign, right? We use it on Sundays. Yeah. It doesn't come up often, but it does come up occasionally. Sometimes more often for some people than others, Dan. Mm. Yep. Um, but I made poor decisions. You've made poor decisions, but I really stole it from the Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. Right, that is the method that we're using for the most part. Yeah. Right? right, and and the Call of Cthulhu system, I think, is brilliant for sanity, and it should be. That's what Call of Cthulhu is built around. Yeah, is is cosmic horror and and the breaking of one's mind. Yeah. So, um, I love the sanity score. It's far more practical in a game than um, honor. Do you want to go opinion. next, Megan? I can go next. Um, I mean, you're all I... higher. Yeah, I. Oh, did she? Yeah. Did I come in last? Yeah, you came yeah. in. Okay, cool. So I will. Um, <laughs> did you see the look she just gave me? Yeah. Fuck. I'm just going to be under the table. Over here. <laughs> I got promoted today, okay? I've got an attitude. Um, no, I think that the one of the main advantages to having a sanity score, but could also be something that could be more difficult, is if you have a 
group of people that aren't very good at theater of the mind or good at thinking on their feet, a sanity score can be difficult to manage, especially if you as a DM aren't strong in those areas. Like, not to toot your horn at him, but you're very good at the sanity score process in our game because you can literally pick moments from our history of our characters and things that would actually bring our characters fear and give us an image if we fail a sanity check. Mm-hmm. Like, you... you Give us this mental image. PTSD flashbacks. Exactly, right? Which if you aren't a DM who's strong at having that mentally prepped or maybe even if you were wanting to use it, have some of those background stories and things already almost mentally prepped for when they do fail. Well, one of the things that I did, I'm going to jump on this for a second because that wasn't my strong suit. Not at first. Hmm. And when I introduced this mechanic, what I ended up doing was I gave you guys prophecies and visions of things that may happen depending on how the campaign goes and so when you would when you would fail you would see the greater um uh, objective way that the world works you would get a glimpse into the divine your mind would snap and you would no longer be linear and you would see things like dan (laughs) like 40 sessions later you guys fought a, a rakshasa your very first image that you got when you failed a sanity save was of a backwards hand holding a scalpel, right? And then we we jumped there later because I didn't have anything to pull on yet as a yeah. DM. So I dropped a couple of visions of prophecies that we may get to. You guys may alter the tides and we'll never get to explore these. Mm-hmm. One of the my favorite one was the necromancer that was 150 feet tall and smashing through a, a floating city. Yes. That was very much on the table until about three sessions ago. And then you guys got rid of it. Oh, good. Fantastic. Yeah. So, um, good to know. Yeah. I am super intrigued now. I don't <laughs> remember even this vision. She got it yeah. very, very early in the campaign. Right at the beginning. Yeah. Was, oh, okay. Because I was the first one to actually get a sanity score, I believe, in that yeah. campaign. Yeah. You guys had to earn it too by, by seeing a Something cosmic happening. maddening. Yeah. Yeah. But that brought to me, like, to the other part of it. Because sometimes we always talk about how session zero is when these things can be discussed and bringing a sanity score into it was something that does sometimes need to be agreed upon. Yep. So the way that you introduced it, because we did introduce it about halfway through the campaign. And by mm-hmm. halfway, I mean like a month or two in, my character ended up rolling up a sanity score. Um, you all, you actually stopped the game and asked the table, is this something you guys would want? Because it was actually, I crit failed on something, rolled the crit fail dice, and that's why I ended up with a sanity score. Yeah. And you actually stopped the game and said we can now decide as a group if sanity is something we want to deal with. And all of us as a group said, heck yeah, throw that down. And we were stoked about it. And now we've made poor decisions. (laughs) (laughs) But you took the time to DM to make sure that that is a score that we wanted to manage and maintain and deal with. Right. And I think that that is very important that if you are running with a group of people that are easily triggered or talking about the dark and the chaotic, and if you are playing in a lighthearted campaign and suddenly you introduce sanity scores, that's a conversation that does need to happen. I think. So, no, I'm 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 completely with you, and and we we harp on the session zero talk often. Mm-hmm. If you are going to bring something in mid campaign, there's no reason why you can't just stop and be like, guys, this is something that would make sense to bring in now. Here's kind of yeah. how it. Here's the good. Here's the negative. What do you think? Yeah. Right. And this could work for introducing a sanity score. There could be a supplement of a book that comes out in a year or two, and you are now a year or two into a campaign, a campaign playing characters who you love and adore, and they release some sort of mechanic that would fit your campaign very well. This is the time to s- step forward Bring and say that in. as well, right? right? So, yeah. like, there's nothing against doing that. Um, and when it comes to specifically, like, a sanity score, you, you need to. You can't just drop that on your players. Yeah. So... 
you guys have covered pretty much everything that I wanted to say. One of my big regrets with the, with the way that we run sanity scores is that there's no day-to-day mechanical um, punch to the fact that you guys are all sitting way below average sanity scores right now. I have a four. Yeah, you've gone back up to a four. I, I, yeah, I was I was at a one for three sessions. And the idea is that when you hit zero, your mind snaps and you're an NPC. Yeah. Right? You can no longer function as a character. Yeah. Um, my, my big issue is that I feel like you should be taking more time for self-care when you start to get into the negatives and more and more time for it. Your short rest should be 10 minutes longer. If you have an, if you've got a negative modifier, your long rest should require to be an hour longer. You just need that extra time to bolster yourself, to get ready to mentally prepare for the next thing to happen. Mm -hmm. There should be things like we get into town and what do you do? Oh, the first thing I'm going to go do is go talk to this guy and make sure that, that uh, we have this and we're going to go drop off our weapons and go shopping. Okay. Look, pump the brakes on that. Remember what just happened. Your mind snapped down there because the beholder looked into your soul and dropped you to zero hit points. You went unconscious as you stared into the eye of a beholder. Its teeth, its slavering maw was coming at you. And the next thing you know, you are breathing and, and the cleric is standing over you. And the next thing you want to do when you're in town is go shopping. Stop and think about this. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a very real kind of campaign when you start thinking about sanity scores. Or you're just playing with a deck of many things. You know what? I'm going to make up my own table. We're going to play with sanity scores. You guys uh, fail and you go Looney Tunes. Mm -hmm. And play it that way if you want. If it's a comedy campaign, do it. But know your tone, know your feel, make sure that everybody's on board right from the beginning. Because mental health, you're right, can be a triggering thing. I... I, I, um... But it, doesn't, uh, but it doesn't have to be, is my point. No, it doesn't so have to be. So know which way you're leaning into it. And and this is one of the reasons why I was I was saying earlier that the having some sort of advice from the DM about how this breaks your character. Um, I think this is this is one of the very few instances I would be okay with a DM telling me how I should play my character a little bit. Yeah. Right? Like or coaching and, and, and in a direction. A co- a coaching yeah. in a role-playing direction. Because um we have done the whole Hey, Dan, you're at one sanity. And let's be completely honest. Lockie's mannerisms didn't really change that much at all. I, I was a little bit more rash with decisions. and and and. But again, that was big picture. That wasn't in the moment this round. No. I'm twitching. Mm-hmm. Or there's a tear running down my cheek. or there's And like, how real do you want to get with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that is a big that is a big question, right? And I think there are going to be some barbarians that are just going to go drink. Now we've just created an alcoholic, and is this fun? Are we having fun? Yeah. Is that what we're doing here? Yeah. <laughs> right? Like we got to really stop and and ask, what does a sanity score mean overall? Is everyone around the table aware of the ramifications of playing with one? Mm-hmm. And you, as a DM and as a player, need to sit back and say, you know what? This is the tone I'm going for. If it's a big, heavy. Um, campaign and someone loses their sanity score and just says, I just got to pee myself and I'm going to go uh, smear um, like shaving cream all over the walls over here yeah. and then write the name of my mother and uh, I'm going to pee again. You're in the wrong campaign. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm saying it's not the right fit for this. Yeah. Right. And so that just be aware of what of what your circumstances are. And work with your DM. And the DM has to be aware of this ahead of time. And then this this 
Also, bringing in a sanity score brings in other problems as well as character retirement. At what point does your character just say, enough of this shit, I'm done, and walk away? Right? It's a lot harder to quantify that with a strength score. It's a lot harder to quantify that with a wisdom score. Sanity, you could quantify that really easy. You hit a five, your character is broken. Probably done. He's done. Right? And that could be a bitter pill to swallow if that happens to a character you love. Right? And based off a couple failed roles... Now you know your character would probably be done and leave. Yeah. Right? So you have to have a discussion with how this plays out. And this is why I am I go have a discussion with your DM um, where your DM kind of guides you. But at the same time, you two come to an agreement of where you are going to be sitting as a character because of this. I also think that you as a DM need to be able to reward sanity back. Mm-hmm. Right? If you are... Going to have uh, 10 days of downtime with your party and your friends and your beloved NPC and the NPC you fell in love with. And you're going to spend all your time grooming your horse for inner peace and whatnot. Maybe you can roll to gain sanity back just from taking a vacation. Just from breathing and saying, maybe you say, hey guys, enough is enough. I need a break. We're in mid-dungeon, but fuck this. Let's get out of here. And the rest of the players should say, yeah, okay. Let's. We will come back. This is a mission we didn't finish. Yeah. And maybe we'll come back later because we mapped out the first half of the dungeon. I mean, more goblins will move back in, but it's we can come finish this later, or maybe it's just something that doesn't get done. Yeah. But it's time to head back to the ship, the inn, the camp, whatever. Yeah, I can't handle this today. Basically. Does it? I. Have that's that's the, all you had. <laughs> yeah. All right, you're done. Um. Cool. I mean, throughout this kind of thing, we've been talking about the tweaks and additions and the way we've kind of handled anything. Is there any final thoughts about anything they would do differently with sanity scores or honor scores? Or alignment. Or alignment. Um, I, I, I found the way we kind of discussed were ones that I could do without towards ones that I want to have in every campaign. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm a fan of my more gritty, realistic campaigns. Hmm. Um, so having a sanity score injects realism because it injects, you know, the the your mental health into the game. Yeah. Right? Which will put you into the mind of your character, which is something we always say to do. If you want to roleplay well, get into your character's head, figure out where they're going. Right? Never use the, my character just would do this. This is the thing my character would do. Bullshit. But I like Sanity Score for that reason. I could use Honor. Having some sort of reputation system in place would be fun and useful. Um, And I can honestly do without alignment. Um, So, like, it's kind of this weird... Uh, decrescendo of of where my focus is. Yeah. Um, if I'm playing a comedy campaign, like just something for fun or something to relax, I'm not putting a sanity score in. Right. It it becomes too real at that point. So this is another you know have some awareness of where you're at with the well, table. It becomes too real until the DM knows you're playing a comedy thing. You go, oh, your mind snaps, and the barbarian is now a giant pot of daffodil running around with a battle axe. You're like, all right, cool, I'm in. We've got full Looney Tunes. Yeah, let's fair do this shit, right? And sometimes that can work, right? Yeah. But I, yeah, I hear what you're saying. You have to decide whether or not you are willing to go full Looney Tunes, or you want this to be like dark and dreary. Dark, dark and dreary. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I really like alignment for the planes. I like where alignment sits now for characters and creatures. I think that honor 
can be sometimes appropriate. I would like to see more for group reputation. Mm -hmm. I like sanity under some circumstances. The thing that I want is a divine intervention chart. That's the thing that I'm missing. Get a stat for your own... What's the word I'm looking here? Your connection to your to a higher being? Mm-hmm. Your faith? No, 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 not your faith. Almost the 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 strength of the connection. Not your own faith because this is going to apply to warlock patrons as well. Yeah. Right? Because what I want to do is I want to have a dream chart. You roll percentile dice, 0 to 80, nothing. 81 to 99, you get a dream that's kind of like this. 100 visions. Yeah, yeah 100 is this prophecy? Right? Yeah, is a prophecy. Or if you roll a one, you have night terrors for the next week, right? And and like there should be a, a kind of like the dream scale. It connect people to their patrons mm-hmm. and their gods more, um, and uh, to their ancestral guardians, to their whatever their their anchor is, yeah. right? Even if their anchor is their long lost missing daughter, have dreams about that. But it's going to every time there's a long rest, every time the party goes down to sleep. You can roll on the dream chart and see what you end up with. Mm-hmm. I would think that's really interesting, and it could be super customizable, campaign to campaign. I don't know all the mechanics on it yet, but I would like to see something like that as a DM to just... And maybe you don't do it all the time. Maybe every time they go down, you roll a D6, and on a 6, you go to the chart. Yeah. So it only happens five or six times in the I, span of a campaign. Something like that, right? I would almost apply wisdom to that. Like, that sounds like a wisdom based thing, like your, your connection to a higher power or your commitment to your cause. Like these all seem wisdom based things. Yeah. But so like but, look, you just have a modifier, but the sorcerer's the bloodline is charisma. The paladin is charisma. The, the warlock is charisma. So I get it. I hear what you're saying. That makes a lot of sense for wisdom as far as the skills go. But as far as like your power source, it can be wisdom or charisma or intelligence for the wizard even. Yeah. You've studied too long and too hard. You're dreaming of math. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, um, or the artificer who just like has this, there was, had a dream of a jumbo jet. Right? <laughs> and doesn't understand how to do it. Yeah. I just like, the sorcerer's having a really bad day. They dream of math. The artificer's no, the wizard. Ha- the wizard. The, the, no. The wizard and the the uh, artificer are having a really good day. Oh, and they, they dream of math. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I love math. I love dreaming of math. Yeah, numbers and things. It was one of my favorite Futurama jokes of all time. There were ones and zeros everywhere. I, I dreamt of all nothing but ones and zeros. I think I even saw a two. <laughs> Thanks, Bender. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what are your final thoughts? Uh, for me, again, I find alignment is just too confusing for what it is to the point where I don't use it in games as often as I probably should. It's just kind of like determining a moral compass. But you know your character well enough now that you can... Like, do you rely on it early in a campaign and yeah, then turf it? to kind of start your process and then yeah. you just kind of turf it from there. Yeah, so it, it, it's a... It's a, uh, it's a good character building yeah. tool is it's, what I find alignment to be. starting point. Yes. Yeah. Um, when it comes to honor... I think that honor and sanity are very specific to the style of campaign that you are playing, I find. You wouldn't just throw honor in there for shits and giggles. You throw it in there because you have a Bushido, because you have a Knights of the Round Table, because you have these things in there that are easy to interact with. And I feel like sanity is really implemented in those campaigns that have that, you know, extraterrestrial type style. So they're very specific. So it's almost like you do have to, when you're starting a campaign, sit down, think about the type of campaign you're building... And then does it work for the system? Does it work for what you're going for? Does it actually give you a means to an end? Or are you just adding something more complicated for no reason? 
Um, because I do find that with the honor and sanity, they can get convoluted. It's almost like adding another layer to your game and you have to kind of determine whether it is necessary or not. Mm -hmm. Like to your point, do we simplify it? Do we only do it if you ever, every sixth or seventh time, do we do it like that kind of stuff. Right. But otherwise when it comes to the way they, they're structured and they work, I feel like I wouldn't really tweak it that much or make too many additions. I feel like they work very well for what they are. You just have to determine whether it's worth your time and energy. Yeah. Sure. I, look, yeah, I don't disagree with any of that. I myself would tweak honor to be reputation, yeah. right? That that's my big, and, and I would tweak sanity to be a little bit more Call of Cthulhu, like make it a little bit less of ability score and more of a one to one hundred scale. Like, those are the specific types of campaigns you guys want to play. Yeah, yes. right? yeah. So you're tweaking it for what it is that you want it to do. Like, but I feel like as they are structured right now, they make sense and they work. It's yeah. just a matter of depending on what type of campaign you're playing. Of, of all of the variant rules in the Dungeon Master's Guide, these are probably my favorites. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of shit in there that I'm not a big fan. Look, hero <laughs> points. <laughs> yeah, look, I, I, sure, you know what? As far as the variants go, variant human is great, feats are awesome, and sanity and honor is good. Yeah. Everything else requires a good long, hard look. All right, that's it for this week's episode um, on, oh my God, alignments, <laughs> sanity, and honor. Uh, you can find us on iTunes and Spotify, as well as dozens of other podcast apps. Uh, you can also find us at the www.itsamimic.com or email us at info at itsamimic.com. Um, thanks for listening to the It's a Mimic podcast. And make sure to check us out next week when we're covering... Brass Dragons. Brass Dragons. That's very exciting. Finally getting around to the good dragons. Yeah. As opposed to those I'm excited. shitty other ones. Your guys' morals came from growing oh. up. Should we roll initiative on this one? We could. All right, let's roll initiative. All right. Source of our morality. Yeah. Well, I grew up in the church. Yeah, you go first. So yeah, I, I got a seventeen. Um, so typical Judeo-Christian moral background. I grew up in the church. I went to Bible college. Um, I still go to church weekly. I'm involved in my church weekly. Like it's. Was it a family thing that okay. implemented it to begin with, though? Or so funny enough, my parents and my my grandparents. No one in my family. I mean, they were they were prairie folk from Alberta, so like church was part of the culture, but they they weren't necessarily you know religious people. Um, and when my family moved out here, we were, we were living in a little place and a pastor of a local church while setting up a vacation Bible school backed into our carport mm. and did some damage to our carport. My dad came out to like rip this guy a new one and ended up uh, signing his children up to go to the vacation Bible school. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good pastor. That is someone who knows what they're doing. Oh that, yeah. That's that a skilled man. Yeah. 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 He, he, I, and we went to that church for 50. 15 years, something like that. You know, he purposefully ran into that carport just to Oh, find more saw children inside, you know, living the heathen lifestyle and, and yeah. needed to remedy <laughs> that situation. No. But uh, yeah, we, we did church for years. Um, one of the big uh, connecting factors between my wife and I when we met on World of Warcraft was the fact that we were both Christian and, and have 
you know, similar taste in like awkward Christian music and, mm. and stuff like that. So you could have just said Christian music. It's all awkward. Not yeah. all of it. Some of it's actually pretty damn decent. Um, I, I used to be in a Christian rock band, so. Did you really? Oh, yes. Oh, that's. <laughs> Me too! Oh, shit. Worlds are colliding. We'll get Brad on. You guys can have a three piece band. <laughs> oh, Lord. Uh, next on the list was you. Uh, I'd say mine are very, like, from my family, I would assume. Like, those are where you get most of your morals and moral compass from as they tell you what's right and wrong as you're growing up and trying to figure yourself out. Yep. Um,. I did grow up Christian too, like it did, um, but I ended that in my teens because everybody goes through a goth phase and I just stayed in mine a little bit longer than anybody else did. Um, but yeah, no, I find that, and then school, a lot for me. I had a lot of really good teachers growing up that yeah. would like really actually cared about what the kids did and where you were at and what you wanted to do with your lives and they were really invested in you as a person on a regular basis, so I, I lucked out where I had all that growing up, so... I feel like... Yeah, like, thinking about it back, going back, like, my teachers were incredibly influential. Right? Yeah. And some of my friends that I that I hung out with, like, Adam and his brother and, and uh, doing Boy Scouts, I'd say a lot of my morality of what not to do came from Boy Scouts. Were oh, we all in shoot. Scouts? Yeah. yeah we yeah. were all in Scouts, yes. Yeah. I remember this conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, I, I don't know. Like, uh, my teachers were heavily involved. Like, I, I've, I've got my three favorite teachers that I ever had who were key points in my life for like and and helped me out of some really dark places several steps yeah. all the way up so yeah teachers I'm, I'm with you on that one there you go adam the liberal media of course <laughs> of course uh, dan, dan just got upset all right no okay, <laughs> okay uh let's see my background I, I was brought up in sunday school and the church and whatnot as well however when we moved out here to vancouver i was six we couldn't find anything like that and so it was just my family. My, like, my dad probably is the most influential moral compass in my entire life. He's the guy that he found I, it's some ridiculous number, like $12,000 or something in an envelope just discarded on the ground mm. uh, outside of a bank. And uh, he spent some time hunting down this the owner of the envelope and giving it back, this elderly man who was, like, this was his rent for months that he had taken oh, out. And, like, and dad did this out a second thought. And this is one of many, many, many stories like that. Yeah. So uh, probably my dad, but I don't know. I always grew up watching. See, I was that. I was the perfect age for Ninja Turtles and Batman the Animated Series and Transformers and GI Joe and the big freaking uncompromising hero mm-hmm. that takes a look at the status quo and says, "Well, that's not right," and then imposes their will upon it. I was the perfect age for that. And that's that's where I come from now. I'm always questioning everything, and then when I get a good feeling about it, and I think I know what's right, I commit to it 100. Mm. Yeah. So, and I'm really uncompromising about it once I've made up my mind. Yeah, you. Yeah, so. I, I, I'd agree. And like, not in a bad way, because usually you've put in the the thought and the study and 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 yeah, work I, I before spend, you come to the, these kind of opinions. I spent months and months and months as a collection agent before I realized that I just don't agree with with collecting for for cell phone bills for for elderly people because they they were gifted a cell phone at christmas never thought about it never turned it on yeah and then six months go by the bill lapses and uh then it goes into collection and it's, it's getting hit with interest and now they've got to cancel their they get hit with cancellation fees yeah. and like and the whole thing and now they owe two thousand dollars and they're told you know pay 60 bucks a month on it well that's not that, that doesn't even cover the interest 
Yeah. Right. So you're just you're just leeching money out of this person on a fixed income. I can't live like that. Hmm. That's that's bullshit, and I won't do it. Yeah. I've quit a number of jobs for moral reasons. Yeah. Um. And uh. And a number of relationships for moral reasons too, as well. <laughs> which I'm uh, I I will straight up walk away from people if I think that they're bullshit. So, hmm. uh, which I guess says good things about you guys. I, was just, I, was just saying, <laughs> I have tricked you guys something foul. <laughs> Oh, Lord. So, yeah, I don't know. that. So, probably the media. But, I mean, we all come from white first world problems, right? Like, we all have the same basic morality here. Yeah. So. True enough. Thank you for listening to an It's a Mimic production. (laughs) Okay, you're done. Get it.